Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. It is Wednesday. Well, it might not be Wednesday. It might be Thursday or Friday when you listen, but a lot of our listeners like to jump in right on Wednesday and check out the latest episode. If you're looking for gear for your musky fishing adventures, seeing as though the southern Wisconsin season is now open, we're waiting for a few more places to open up so everybody can officially be back chasing muskies, visit TeamRhinoOutdoors.com or you can visit MuskyMayhemTackle.com. Typically, I would have a, a co-host, and it would be Brad or Carrie or both for Muskie Mayhem Tackle. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen this week, so I'm rolling solo. I managed to round up a solid guest in Steve Hiding. He's the managing editor of Muskie Hunter Magazine, brings tons and tons of muskie knowledge to the table. He's uh, pretty much just a household name in muskie fishing, so if, you, if you've been muskie fishing for more than two days, you probably know the name Steve Hiding. Great guest, lots of information, and on this episode, we're going to talk primarily, we're going to, he went out and fished uh, for the Southern Opener in Wisconsin, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. He's got a few things going on that he's involved in as far as, uh, you know, musky schools and emceeing the National Championship Musky Open. We're going to give you a little bit of rundown on that, but then we're going to kind of go into talking about crankbaits. That's sort of the deal today, twitching, cranking, you know, whatever. A lot of people think that crankbaits are uh, trolling baits. And we're going to just get into this conversation with Steve and he's going to go over, you know, tips, tactics, time of year, baits that he uses, gear that he uses, um, to hopefully get you to put a couple extra muskies in the net on crankbaits this year. And so we got that. Like I said earlier, if you're looking for gear for your musky fishing adventures, be sure to check out muskymayhemtackle.com. And they're the originators of the big bladed flashaboo bucktails. And if you're looking for pretty much everything else, you can find it at TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. I know recently we got stocked up on Lakewood tackle boxes. If you're looking for the extreme, that's the giant tackle box houses, uh, you know, the 12 inch matlocks and headlocks and 14 inch jakes and all that stuff. We do have a few extremes. We had customers looking for them and it's technically a discontinued box, but we were able to get uh, a good number of them. We still have some left. We did sell a bunch. Recently, we've been stocked up on Musky Mayhem Tackle, Musky Frenzy Lures, Stealth Tackle. We've been getting some stuff in from Drifter Tackle. So if you're looking for Hellhounds and, and things like that, we have them. We've also been getting some stuff in from TNA Tackle. Uh, Slammer Tackle's been giving us regular updates on, or regular shipments on baits. So if you want, and um, we just recently added some more stock colors in the 10-inch and the 12-inch minnows from them which happens to coincide with this episode where we're going to talk about minnow baits. But anyways, so that's what we have going on there. Lots of gear, lots of things. Restless Riders, we just recently got updated on those. If you want to know more about that bait, because you might not be familiar with it, check out our solo podcast project, the Team Rhino Outdoors Musky Fishing Podcast. You can check that out. We talk, uh, we go right in depth with the Restless Rider. And, you know, some of you listeners may check out that podcast and wonder what's going on there. It's basically just been time to get that that project going and done, or not done, but you know keep adding to it. So we're going to continue to go with the the Team Rhino Outdoors Musky Fishing Podcast. It's something I plan to revisit, but my choices are, you know, run the businesses. I've been pretty busy wiring electrical stuff because if you listen to our podcast regularly, you know I'm still an electrician, so I still do that. And then uh, you know this podcast has always been our number one uh, priority. So we're going to continue to put out episodes of this every single Wednesday. If you haven't already, uh, subscribe to us on your mobile device, whether it be Pod, uh, Podbean, whether it be Spotify, whether it be um, Apple Podcasts. You can find us on those. You can find us on um, iHeartRadio, a bunch of different places. Hit the subscribe button and you get new episodes every single Wednesday morning. I believe it's 5 a.m. Central Time is when we put them out. But, uh, you know, I rambled long enough, kind of gave you an update on what's going on. I'm going to go and dive into my conversation with Steve Hiding. All right, our guest today is none other than Steve Hiding. If you're looking to hear more from Steve, you can check out episode 100. We had him on there. And then we also had a full episode with uh, Steve on episode 38. So it's been a little while since we've talked for more than, you know, that episode 100 thing. We just did uh, whatever it was, 10, 15 minutes with Steve. So he's, he goes way more in depth. And if I remember right, I want to say we did some open water talking with Steve in that episode, episode 38. And that was back in 
Oh boy, December of 2019. None of us, uh, what what a whole different world December of 2019 would be, wouldn't you say, Steve? <laughs> yeah, December 2019, we're looking forward to just a, a great 2020, and we all know how that turned out. Absolutely. So for anybody that doesn't know, Steve is still the managing editor of Muskie Hunter magazine. He's also written several books. He's uh, the MC of the National Championship Muskie Open, and he does a little seminar for the Nicolay College, which uh, we'll talk we'll talk a little bit about that. But Steve, first off, I just want to thank you for coming out and talking muskies with me for a little while. I know uh, Brad's not on this episode, a couple things going on with Brad, so he couldn't make it. But I appreciate you staying on schedule and uh, helping us get out some uh, content to our listeners for this week. Hi, Jeff. Yeah, thanks. Uh, glad to do it. Anytime you want me on, I'm glad to do it. Uh, you guys have a great podcast and um, my best wishes go out to Brad. Yes, and I, you know, like I said, I, I appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule to do this. It's always great to talk to you because you just bring a wealth of knowledge to the musky, to you know, to the table with our musky podcast. I mean, you have—I don't know how long you've been musky fishing. Thirty years, forty years, something like that. Um, I caught my first one when I was nineteen, so I hesitate to say that's forty-three years ago. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it, it's uh, it's been a while. Actually, no, I, I can't do math. 42 years ago, goodness gracious. Don't want to make myself any older than I already am. Right, exactly. But anyways, you know, lots of lots of knowledge, lots of time on the water, which we like to dive into a little bit and try to get some, uh, try to help everybody catch a couple extra muskies by listening to this podcast. So today, let's start off with a couple of housekeeping items. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, National Championship Muskie Open. I know as we just alluded to earlier, 2020 was... Uh, well, it was a pretty terrible year for a lot of things, and that didn't that event didn't go on. And typically, you're the MC of that. So, what's the future for the uh, National Championship Muskie Open for 2021? Well, the National Championship is on again for this year. It's uh, August 20th to 22nd at the Eagle River uh, Fairgrounds in Eagle River, Wisconsin. Um, we hope to have 1,300 anglers. You'll know, be back up to what we were at for several years straight. You know, a huge crowd, 1,300 people showing up at the tournament. And, you know, all that we're doing there is trying to raise funds for the Muskie Fishery of Wisconsin. It's the primary fundraiser for the Muskie Clubs Alliance of Wisconsin, which is, you know, it, it, the alliance is consists of about 25 Muskie Clubs, uh, Muskie Zinc, and independent clubs. And they all work together to better the fishery of Wisconsin. And the tournament is nothing but fun. You know, it's... It, if you're there to win it or you're worried about winning a trophy, God help you. People are just there to come in, have fun, catch some fish, you know, there's some beer drink in the beer tent each evening. But, you know, guys are sharing stories and guys and ladies and kids and everything else. So many people just show up to, you know, to raise funds, have fun. And when it's all said and done, you know, we give away a Ranger boat, a Mercury outboard to somebody in the tournament. You know, somebody walks away with a brand new boat, and uh, you know that's that's always a special thing to be up on the stage giving away that boat to somebody who's out in the audience. You know, you see you see people cry, you see people just uh, speechless because of the the boat that they they're able to take home after the tournament. It's just a fun event, and you know, I donate my time to the alliance to do it. They don't pay me at all. Um, I get up on the stage, and I I wouldn't miss it for anything. I have that much fun just getting people on the stage and talking about musky fishing. It's a fantastic event. I can't say enough good about it. I've always heard great things about it. Like you said, it's a giant event. I mean, if you go up in the North woods during that time frame, there in August, I mean, there's anglers everywhere. And, you know, I said, it's just a great time. So it's awesome to hear that that one's going to be coming back because of the uh, benefit to the musky fisheries. Obviously the, uh, the more that we can uh, solidify the future of musky fishing, especially in Northern Wisconsin, the better it is for all of us musky anglers. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, I, I just encourage if you haven't checked it out or you don't know anything about it, come by. You know, check out Eagle River and check out uh, the, the national championship, and it's it's just fun. I guarantee you're going to have a great time. And then, Steve, the other thing we had talked about something cool that you're doing for. It sounds like you're going to be doing a weekly report for musky fishing. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Where people can can find this uh, this report for you that's going to be coming out. Yeah, this is a brand new thing. Uh, we just ironed it out this weekend. Um, I was approached by WJJQ Radio out of Tomahawk, Wisconsin, and you 
you know, if you're heading to northern Wisconsin, coming up I-39 to Highway 51, and a lot of you do, uh, WJJQ is in Tomahawk, and uh, I'll be doing what's going to be called Steve Hiding's Northwoods Muskie Report, and it's sponsored by MAPS. I've already got a title sponsor for it. They jumped on board, and we're going to be doing it for 22 weeks starting this week, and I'm going to be talking about, you know, fishing reports, water temperatures, you know, what's happening, and um, if I... If I'm not catching anything, I'll make something up too. It's gonna it's gonna be a lot of fun. The only thing I promise that won't be in it will be political discussion because you know politics has nothing to do with muskies. Although you know some politicians like to bring it there, but um, no, we're gonna, we're gonna have some fun with it, and it's gonna be all about muskies. A couple minutes every week, um, you know that's that's what they want to do, and and I'm all on board with it. I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. It's just a uh, one more way that I can uh, you know, try to try to uh, help other people enjoy the sport of muskie fishing. Yes, absolutely. So is this available? I mean, if you're not, I'm assuming it's a, is it a radio station that WJJQ? Yeah, it's uh, JJQ.com. You can, uh, you, if you, if you can't pick it up on the radio, you can always go to WJJQ.com and, uh, and you can listen there. All right, great. That's I mean, so everybody that listens to this podcast has the option to listen to this uh, update every week too. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly the times that my report will air. They have a number of fishing reports each weekend, you know, with local guides and such. Um, but it will air several times from Thursday through Sunday every week. That's great. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be good. For, you know, like you said, if you're not if you happen to not be catching them, which I find to be pretty rare, but if you happen to not be, I'm <laughs> sure you're fairly connected. Within the musky world, you'd be able to get some information somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, yeah I'm really looking forward to it. It's just, uh, it's not, nothing that I, I had planned to do. It's just they approached me and they said, hey, what do you think about this? And I like the idea. And so I'm going to throw everything at it that I can and, and uh, just have fun with it. Sounds great. One last thing. We'll keep this one brief. Nicolay College <laughs> Musky Seminar. I know you did this, uh, man, I think, what did you do, like two years before we had the 2020 issues, and then it sounds like that spilled into 2022, or uh, 2021, sorry, I'm skipping a year already. If people are interested in this, I know that the planning stages are super early, Steve. Why don't you talk maybe slightly about this Nicolay College uh, Muskie Seminar that you guys are hoping to bring back for 2022? <laughs> yeah, it, it, we uh, we had hoped to bring it back in 2021, but you know, the planning for this event goes, you know, starts in October every year. And, you know, last October, things were pretty sketchy so far as what was going on in this world and especially with, with the pandemic. And so the, the seminar was canceled for one more year. Uh, we, w- we do plan to be back for 2022. And what it is, it's a weekend event at Nicolay College, Rhinelander, Wisconsin. And um, it's just a musty seminar. I get a bunch of local guides together and we put on a bunch of seminars. Uh, over a one or two day event, I believe it'll be two days next year, you know, over one weekend. And, you know, we typically have about 75 people attending these and we, you know, we try to have, you know, we try to offer something for everybody from a beginner to an advanced musky fisherman. And it's, you know, largely focused on fishing in the North woods. And, uh, it's been very well received. The first, uh, college level musky fishing class that's ever been taught. It was Nicolay's idea. They approached me, and people tend to approach me about things, apparently. It's because I guess it's because I'm, I'm a guy who can't say no. When I do get on board with something, I tend to uh, try to make it a, a very special event. And uh, it is. It, it's just, you know, again, that's another fun thing. Nicolay is uh, It's on Lake Julia down by Rhinelander, which is a great musky lake. They've talked about, can we do, you know, musky fishing as part of the school? And I said, not in April, we can't, you know, but we could in June. You know, nobody's going to sign up then because they could be fishing anyways. But yeah, it, 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 if you want to get ready for the 2022 musky season, you know, check it out uh, with Nicolay College. It's it's going to be a good time. All right. Well, sounds like we got most of the housekeeping stuff out of the way. Let's talk muskies now, Steve. Uh, this past weekend was the <laughs> Southern Wisconsin opener. And from my understanding, you were able to get out and enjoy the opener. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I did. Um, it was very warm, very windy. I wish I could report we caught some muskies, but you know, my buddy, John Stelflew, who used to guide in Rhinelander, Oneida Esox uh, Guide Service, um, he and I were turkey hunting, and my turkey hunt went a little longer than I anticipated. 
but I did shoot a, you know, one of the biggest gobblers I shot in a, in a number of years. I got that late Saturday morning, so we were late getting on the water Saturday afternoon. But, um, you know, we fished dark water, small lake, south of Highway 10 in Wisconsin. You know, Highway 10 is the port or the cutoff. Anything south of 10 opens up on the Saturday, uh, the first Saturday of May uh, for muskies. Anything north of 10, you know, because of the spawning situation, uh, anything north of 10 doesn't open up until the Saturday of Memorial Day weekend. And in this case, you know, this year it's, you know, May 29th that we can't get going at them up here. So, but John and I got out, we washed some baits, uh, we didn't catch anything, but we sure had a good time. And, you know, it was a special morning, you know, with a big turkey. And John and I looked at it, we thought, have you ever musky fished and turkey hunted on the same day? And I said, no. And well, let's do that. And then, of course, once we had the turkey in the bag, we you know, decided to get a little greedy and maybe get a muskie on the same day. You know, can you imagine that? And, you know, a turkey and a muskie on the same day. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, you know, despite our best efforts, we tried. <laughs> Absolutely. So what did you see on the water as far as water temperatures? Where are we sitting in southern Wisconsin? Uh, we saw some, you know, cabbages starting to come up a little bit in some spots. Some lily pads were coming up. Water temperatures, when we got on, you know, was being so windy the wind was pushing the you know the warmer surface water around. Uh, we saw anywhere from 59 to 63 degrees. And, you know, the next day was fairly warm. Um, two, we, you know, I did not fish on Sunday. I, you know, had to return home. I was, you know, hunting all week. You know, there were some, I do know of some nice muskies being caught, you know, not only in southern Wisconsin, but northern Wisconsin. You know, some friends got into some fish, not that they were trying for them. They were bass fishing and, you know, as we all know, muskies like to eat bass baits too. And, you know, the fish that were current in northern Wisconsin were bearing a lot of scars from spawning. You know, they were kind of beat up, uh, the pictures I saw at least. You know, in southern Wisconsin, I'm hearing good things. You know, they were, you know, heard some good things about Pewaukee Lake. Um, I got a picture here at Muskie Hunter of a 49 and three quarter, or I'm sorry, 49 and a half inch fish. You know, one of those rare ones that measures just under 50. You know, they almost never do that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that that fish was was caught up by Harrison Hack, and he's from Campbellsport, and he sent us that photo. And there's no reason to doubt that fish; it's a, it's a beauty. You know, congrats to Harrison. Yeah, you'll be seeing that one in Muskie Hunter. You can see it right now at muskiehunter.com in the What's in Your Net section. You know, it's a big, big fish. Yeah, I saw that one. Uh, I think I saw it on Facebook somewhere. Yeah, like you said, big, big fish. I actually think I clicked on his name to see where he was fishing exactly because. Uh, it just didn't seem, it seemed like, I don't know, like a different looking kind of a muskie from what I've seen in, in Southern Wisconsin, but it was a, it was a beautiful fish, fat fish. And, uh, it's great to see that people got their seasons. Like some people got their seasons started off right. And I mean, heck, if you, even if you didn't, it was probably good just to be out, you know, chucking muskie lures again. And it's something that obviously we, we, uh, we miss out on here in the Wisconsin. We got, what do we take? Like a six month break? I think it is. So it's always good <laughs> to get back out there and chase muskies. Yeah, and it was such a nice day on Saturday. My wife already said I'm working on my kunais, you know, having uh, sunglasses on and a lot of sun. And, yeah, I do have some color in my face and my arms are a little tight right now because um, I never thought to bring sunscreen because who does in early May? But it was 88 degrees when we were fishing and uh, very, very warm. It was just fun to be out, just fun. It's good to hear, though, that potentially those fish are, you know, at least some of them are spawning up there in northern Wisconsin, hopefully we can get that over with in the next, you know, three, four weeks. So we can start the season out. I don't know. We'd call it normal. Is there, is there such a thing anymore? Um, is there any normal about musky fishing? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but you know, the, the, the better seasons are always the ones when the fish get the spawning out of the way. And so when we hit the water, you know, it's like the fish are ready to go. It's, it, it, it's like the spawn, you know, the muskies have got, two concerns in their life. One is spawning, one is feeding. And spawning, you know, that they go through the motions or, or and make little muskies and all that sort of thing. They tend to get beat up. And the longer I fish for these things, the more I'm amazed by how much the spawn can influence the entire muskie season. And the years when we have an early ice out and the fish are done spawning when the season opens up and ready to go, ready to bite, those are always the best years. You know, and, it, and it's, it's not just that you catch more fish because you're catching more earlier. It's just like you seem to catch more 
from season start to season's end. You catch bigger fish, and I don't know why that is, but it, that's something that reflects in my own catch records. And so I've got very, very high hopes for this season. Yeah, I'll agree with you as well. I it's one of those things when we got the early, you know, the early spring that we came in, and then we've had some, you know, up and down weather here. I was, uh, I'm just hoping, like you said, that they can get the spawn done and over with because I don't have the nearly the experience to draw back on that you do. But in my experience, I've seen the same thing when you have a normal spring where those fish get over, you know, the spawn takes place like it normally should, gets over and done with. It just seems like it sets the tone for an entirely different season than the ones that we've seen. I'd say maybe 75% of the ones in the last three, four years have been uh, a lot more difficult than what we've done. You know, the spawn just, um, it's gets pushed through really quickly or whatever, because you, those water temperatures for us, I mean, heck, you know, how it is Steve, the ice hasn't been coming off the lakes until, you know, the early part of May, it seems like in, you know, a bunch of these seasons recently. So it's been, and then, and then it warms up so gosh darn quick that, uh, you know, they, if they do spawn or whatever happens, they just, it just, everything happens really fast. It's really bunched together. And it's, in my opinion, made for more difficult seasons. Absolutely. It, I always prefer a spring like we had this year. You know, not only do I uh, not run out of places to put snow <laughs> around my driveway <laughs> and such, you know, cause some of those years I come back, I look at my wife, I say, I don't know if it snows anymore. I don't know where I'm going to go with it because, um, you know, we just have a driveway left and everything else is four to you know six feet deep. And then of course, when you have that much snow, you have the cooler effect. It's like, uh, you know, it's like having a cooler full of ice. And if the, mo- you know, the more you have, the cooler it is. And, you know, the, the area stays cold until the snow goes and the ice goes. And yeah, I like it when it goes fast. I like an early warm up, and I like it to, you know, for musky fishing, especially. And that's probably what, uh, just the fact that I musky fish so much, that probably is what influences my belief about getting rid of the snow and you know, the white stuff. I, you know, it's cool to see in November when it's time to hunt deer, but it's, uh, not so cool in, in April and May, you know, it, you can have it at that point. Yep. Absolutely. So Steve, since we're kind of on the topic of early season muskies and that's, you know, that's the time of year we try to bring you timely information if we can, obviously winter time is a whole different story, but anyways, I've seen, I've seen a post recently from you talking about three baits that you use to get your season started. Why don't you talk a little bit about, about those three baits? Cause it's something it, you basically alluded to the fact if you can't catch them on these three, then you probably can't catch them that day. Why don't you talk a little bit about these your three choices for early season muskies? Yeah, Jeff, it, it's a it's a matter of you know the baits are all small, <clears throat> yeah, because you most most seasons you know you're just not quite sure uh, what you're getting into when you go out there, and uh, you know. But I I've, I've got three baits that uh, I rely on quite heavily to try to gauge the fish's mood, and usually they will trigger fish. Um, you know, and, and I, I like to I like to throw smaller baits at least in Wisconsin until you start hearing of you know guides having you know people in their boat uh, you know bringing up a walleye and a muskie grabs a walleye. Well, at that point, you might as well go big because you know you can't fish a bait you know as big as a walleye. You know, get a 13, 14, 15 inch walleye on. You really can't throw a, a bait that big and 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 fish it effectively. So at that point, you might as well go big, but in this, you know, it, it, when the, when the season first opens and you're trying to figure out what's going on, going small is uh, you're gonna, your bait's going to appeal to a wider range of fish. You know, fish may have just eaten, but hey, here's a potato chip. Might as well grab that. And so, I like to start out with stop and go type baits. You know, the stuff that um, you know hangs in front of their face um, and tries to trigger a, a neutral or to, you know, semi-turned-off fish. Um, in that case, I like, to, I like to use middle baits. Um, you know, I, 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 back in the day, I, when the crema bait first came out, I caught a lot, a lot of fish on those. You know, baby shallow raiders, the slammers nowadays, uh, you know, those, those new rosin slammers are so good. You know, so, so a, you know, five to seven-inch middle bait would be one. Uh, a smaller suic, you know, a seven-inch suic, is phenomenal. You know, I catch a lot of muskies on suics every year, and um, the seven incher can be deadly when the season first opens. Uh, I've caught as many as seven in a day on a suic on you know the opening weekend, and then uh, then you know when the water warms up and it may only be a degree or two, you know that can often get the fish ramped up, and it might be time to go to 
you know, a more aggressive approach. And then it's going, you know, I'm going to turn to a MEPS musky killer. And typically the, you know, the single tail first, and I may ramp up to a double tail. The fish are a little bit more aggressive, but, uh, you know, going, going to a MEPS, even, even, you know, at, at midday, you may not have noticed that the water temperatures come up, but sometimes the sun can affect the fish too. And, and a buddy and I, uh, a few years back, you know, we got into them where you know, we started with the minnow baits and, and suics and that, and we just weren't doing much. And, you know, the water cap was, was only 49 degrees, believe it or not. And that was uh, opening weekend of the musky season a couple of years ago. And John put on a, he put on a small map. So it was a silver blade with a gold tail and just started pitching that. And the next thing I knew he had, you know, I'd caught one on a minnow bait. Well, the next thing I knew I was down three to one. And I had to switch to a bucktail in order to catch fish. And we ended up with a nine fish day with eight of them coming on the small maps. You know, the sun will affect the fish and will trigger them to go. Even if you don't, your water temperature gauge doesn't reflect it. Uh, sometimes those fish will really get aggressive at midday and, and a small bucktail is the way to go. And so those three baits, you know, if, if I had to ex- expand it to five, I'd throw a small topwater in there. Like, is there a spook? Maybe as big as a dancing raider uh, by Booker Outdoors. And then, uh, you know, a, a, a jig and reaper combination. But, you know, most guys, in, in most situations, that jig reaper and the, the top water aren't the ones that you want to be casting early in the season. But the other three, the small maps or, or similar small bucktail, the, uh, you know, the small suic and the uh, five to seven inch middle bait, those will get it done. And, you know, if a fish comes up and grabs a, one of those small middle baits, or small suic, you know, you got a lot of small pointy hooks and the fish may not hit the bait as aggressively or as hard as you may expect, but you still get hooks in them because, you know, the bait slides easily in their teeth and lots of small pointy hooks tend to hook up with a fish. So, um, yeah, I, I rely on, on those baits very heavily um, at this time, or, you know, as soon as I can start musky fishing. Northern Wisconsin, I, I can't yet, but in southern Wisconsin, yeah, on, on Saturday, that's what I was casting. Brad's not here, so we can talk finally about maps as much as we want. <laughs> My last couple seasons, actually, the maps musky killer has been the one that's gotten a fish in the net for me to start the season off. So, and and much like you alluded to, like early season, you'd be surprised with the cooler water temperatures; those fish will still eat those bucktails. It's uh, it's not something I I expected, but last year um, it worked, and the year before it worked as well. So I was uh, pleasantly surprised by them. And uh, they're great little baits. Obviously, you know, Brad wouldn't want me saying that, uh, you know, he should be throwing maps. But, the, you know, he's not here. He didn't make it. So we can uh, we can vouch for maps today. <laughs> well, you know, Brad, Brad's got such a great product. And, you know, I've caught, you know, many, many muskies on, on his baits, too. But, um, you know, maps is, uh, you know, they, they've been around. Yeah, the muskie killer has been around for 60 years now. You know, this is this year is the 60th anniversary of the maps muskie killer. And I think they got it right. You know, if you got a bait that's been around for 60 years, you know, they got it right. I, I, I have no, no idea how many thousands of muskies have been caught on those things. But, you know, my first nine muskies that I ever caught were on a golden black Meps muskie killer. And, of course, you know, I thought that the bait was magic back then. But, you know, as you find out, as you, you know, develop as a muskie fisherman, approach the fishing not in the way that you, that you want to fish. You have to approach the day or approach the fishing in the way that, that makes you successful. And sometimes you have to do something different. And, um, you know, after I caught my first nine on that cold over black musky killer, you know, all of a sudden my eyes started opening up a little bit and yeah, it's a phenomenal bait, but sometimes you got to go to something else. And, and, uh, often at this time of year, it's middle baits and suics and uh, small gliders and such too. Yeah, well, it's funny because, you know, in the, I don't want to say the era of musky fishing that we're in, everybody's looking for the newest, the latest, the greatest. And, you know, I'm guilty of that as well. I still look for those baits, but I also, you know, sometimes, you know, much like the suic is, it's not an overlooked bait, but in some cases it's an overlooked bait, you know, because it's been around for so long. Same thing with the MEPS. I mean, those are, those are baits that have been staples. Like you said, the MEPS has been around for 60 years. So I think sometimes they get overlooked because they're not the newest, the flashiest bait on the market. So, I mean, it's, you know, time, time tested, proven baits can definitely put fish in the net. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. You know, there's, there's a reason why baits like that have been around as long as they have. Those suits have been around for 80 years, for God's sakes, you know, and still catching fish. They, that's what they do. They, they catch fish. There's a lot of stuff that comes and goes, 
And, you know, a lot of the stuff, as you well know, you know, it comes out, hits the market, something different, a new twist or whatever. Fish haven't seen it yet. You know, it, it, that bait is hot for a year or two. And five or 10 years later, it's like, you know, well, yeah, I, you know, you, you look in your tackle box and you come up with a bait that you used to catch a lot of fish on and you haven't caught anything on it in five or 10 years. And, well, what happened? You know, I can't say that with a muskegiller. I can't say that with a suic, you know, because those baits are staples for me. I, I catch a lot of fish on them every single year. They are good, and uh, you know that that's why they've stood the test of time. They just they just catch fish, and that's all they need to do. One hundred percent. So this podcast, though, of the three baits that you that you talked about, or you primarily talked about, I want to circle back on a crankbait. I think a lot of anglers look at crankbaits <laughs> and they look at them as being uh, trolling baits, or you know they don't look at them as a, necessarily a casting option. Obviously, there are guys that love to do it. I can talk about a few guys I know that fish the PMTT. They primarily you know twitch crankbaits, and that's their that's their tactic. But I'd still say it's an overlooked uh, tactic. Would you agree with that, Steve? I don't know why it is, but yeah, um, you know, back in the days when I was guiding back in the late eighties, early nineties, you know, the grandma bait first came out. I, you know, I certainly didn't overlook it because my gosh, we caught a lot of, a lot, a lot of fish on, on those baits at the time. And, and I found myself getting really good at fishing minnow baits. And, you know, that now to this day, it's a staple for me early in the season. And it's a staple throughout the season when I hit tough conditions, or if I know where there's a big fish that's holding in a spot, especially in thick cover, because that bait provides a lot of flash and a lot of, you know, a lot of movement without little, or with, I'm sorry, with little forward movement. And uh, so it hangs in the fish's face for a long time. And, you know, it, it, it will trigger a big fish if you give it a chance to do so. Um, you know, one of those, one of those fish that, you, you know, say you, you got a fish that's in a weed bed and you know exactly where he is, you know, kind of within 20 feet or so or 30 feet, you've seen him and you're there at midday, you know, that minnow bait may be the best bait to catch that fish. You know, maybe in the evening or at night, you might get it on a bucktail. It may chase a topwater. But if you want to catch it during the day, during the heat of the day, the minnow bait is probably the choice. And, you know, we should define a minnow bait. You know, a minnow bait or a twitch bait is is a crankbait. You know, it has a, has a diving lip. So if you cast it out and reel it in, it'll wiggle. It'll, it'll come through the water like most crankbaits. But the ones I'm talking about here are the ones that have got flat sides they're not they don't have a rounded body they have very flat sides so when you twitch them you know they they tend to wobble a lot and those flat sides catch a lot of sunlight there are a lot of daylight and they flash a lot and you know that flash and that minimum forward movement i think uh i think that's the big trigger there and of course with it being a flat bait you know the fish doesn't get a good grip on it and you know you tend to hook up with those fish too so it's a, it's a deadly, deadly bait. And it's something that I think everybody should have in their arsenal. Cause, uh, if you don't, you know, it, it's going to cost you fish if you don't know how to fish them. For sure. So Steve, let's talk about the gear. What do you use? What's your setup like for throwing this stuff? Because I think the one thing that people are going to find about middle baits too, is they don't have to probably have the heaviest gear and all that stuff out there to get these. I mean, you can literally throw a crankbait all day long with probably very minimum wear and tear on your body. Correct. Yeah, they, you know, a five to seven inch middle bit, you know, what I'm talking about, uh, especially, you know, twitching at this time of year, you know, later in the season, I'll, I'll, I'll go to a larger middle bait sometimes, but sometimes that the little one in cold front condition still is going to shine, but it, it doesn't take much in the way of tackle to fish it, but you have to be specific in your tackle. And the reason for that is these little baits don't have a lot of buoyancy to them. You know, the, the, the slammers are solid rosin. Um, the grandmas, the baby shallow raiders, they've got, you know, they're plastic. They got a little bit of air in them. Uh, they already got hooks hanging on them. So they've already got some weight to them. Um, but they're not, they're not buoyant. And so the more you hang in front of them or the heavier the gear you try to fish with them, the more difficult it is to fish them. And I found out a long, long time ago when that grandma bait first came out that you had to downsize your leaders because, if the bait rises, you know, when, when you twitch, you pause, you twitch the bait, the bait comes forward, you pause, you let it rise a little bit before you twitch it again. And the twitch is imparted, you know, typically with the, with the tip of your rod. And 
you know, the fish is often going to hit it during the pause. And if that, if that bait is going to, if it rises horizontally, the more horizontally it rises, the more effective it's going to be. And if you put a great big leader on front of, in the front of it, you know, say, a, a you know, 174 pound test, uh, jerk bait leader or something like that, or even a 90 pound test seven strand, you, you put that in front of that minnow bait. And when it rises, it's going to be nose down and it will not catch the fish that it will catch if it's rising more horizontally. And I think that horizontal approach or, or look is more natural to a dying or crippled bait fish. And I think that's what you're trying to achieve here. So downsizing is huge. Um, you know, starting with a rod and reel, uh, I'm going to go with a eight and a half foot medium heavy rod. Um, it's good to have flex in the rod. And in that respect, you know, some, some of the really high end rods, tend to be a little bit stiffer because uh, there's, there's, you know, the carbon fiber is a little bit higher quality. And so the rod tends to be a little bit stiffer in its midsection. If I had to pick one rod, however, for twitching a middle bait, it would be St. Croix's eight and a half foot long ranger because that, that rod has a little flex right in the middle. And a buddy who is a much better twitch bait fisherman than I, and I, you know, he and I fish together a lot and we are convinced that that rod does matter. And so that's, you know, it's eight and a half foot long ranger by St. Croix. The reel isn't so much, isn't that important except that you don't want to go with a high speed reel uh, because you don't want to pick up the slack too fast because if you pick up the slack too fast, you may inhibit the baits uh, flash in action. So I, I, I tend to go with a five, you know, 5.1 to one retrieve ratio reel. I spool it up with 65 pound test braid and, you know, I, I only use 65 pound test for small baits, you know, because it will cast farther and it, in, you know, there's less, less weight in front of the bait when it's out in the water. Um, you know, if I'm going to almost anything else, I'm going to go to 80 or hundred pound test braid, but for this, I'm using 65. And then I worked with uh, self tackle a number of years ago because nobody had a, a, a good twitch bait leader on the market. In my opinion, they were all, you know, all the leaders were too heavy. So, I talked with John and I said, you know, can you build a leader that's smaller and lighter in weight and, but still have the high quality components and the, you know, the ultimate twitch bait leader, if you're, if you're just fishing twitch baits, you know, exclusively, you, you know, a, a twitch bait or a minnow bait, a crankbait isn't going to spin. So you don't need a swivel in front of it. So you take off a swivel. Now you've eliminated, eliminated even more weight. You just have a standard wire leader with a loop on the end. You tie it to the loop. And then I like having a snap, so that's just, there's going to be a uh, stay lock snap on it, a smaller one. But this twitch bait leader that Stealth came out with is 124-pound test wire, six inches long with a small stay lock on it. That really, really works well for this, for this particular technique. I like to go with a split ring in the, in the snout of my, you know, or the, to the line tie of my baits just simply because it gives a little bit more wiggle. Um, it makes it a little bit easier to get that snap on. You know, some people would prefer to just take out the snap and 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 connect the wire to the to the split ring, and that's fine. I go with the snap just because it's a little easier to change baits out. And then uh, you know, then you then you've got the bait. And then, like I said, a five to seven inch middle bait. You know, the a baby shallow raider. Uh, you know, a slammer uh, middle. You know, the grandma, the Jake. Um, they're all good. And, you know, and big game, you know, there's a lot of good, good, small, flat-sided crankbaits on the market. And uh, downsizing it all for the small stuff, the five to seven inch, is very important. And uh, it will result in more fish for you. Well, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the leader that you use because I think that's one of those overlooked things. Everybody wants the, uh, they all want to know location. They all want to know which baits everyone is. But these these little details that you talked about with that, with that leader, that can really affect the action of a bait. And it can really, I don't want to say it's necessarily going to be the difference between a fish that day or not, but it definitely hinders the action. If you're, you know, like you said, if you're putting this big, heavy, a lot of guys like to put 130 pound fluorocarbon leader on there and they throw that with everything. <laughs> that's just too much weight for these little baits. And I'm glad that you brought that up. Typically we'd, we'd have John on from stealth tackle occasionally. And we would, I would literally list off baits and he would kind of pair up the best leader for him. And we haven't done that in a while. And I've been talking to John about doing it again because, you know, if you're a newer muskie angler, you don't necessarily know these things. These are definitely 
they're not they're not flashy they're not fun to talk about leaders aren't they're they're not but they're definitely more important than people realize i guess yeah it, it, the leader can mean everything you know if you put that you know that 130 pound jet squirrel leader is a phenomenal leader i, I catch a lot of fish with it you know the, the very first one i ever hooked with it i was uh, i was fishing a cowgirl up on vermilion like a lot of people <laughs> have done over the years and uh you know, it, was, it was the very first time I was, I was trying the John fluorocarbon leaders and I had a 52 incher come up and wolf that cowgirl and I set the hook and there was like four inches of leader sticking out of the fish's mouth. Initially, you know, I, I saw that fish and it was like, whoa. And then, you know, I, I had the good hook set. And the next thing that pops in my head is, well, this is going to be a good test of that leader. <laughs> you, know, you think about dumb things that pop in your head when you're fighting a fish like that. But then I get the fish in the net and we get it unhooked and uh, the leader was fine. There wasn't a nick on it. So the leader, you know, I became a fan right then. And, you know, those, those fluorocarbon leaders have never failed me, you know, 130 pound tests. So I, I catch a lot of fish using them at the right time of year with the bigger baits. But, you know, not only does it add, if you were to attach it to a smaller minnow bait, not only does it add weight, but it also creates drag in the water, which will inhibit the bait's action. You know, that, that was why we went with the, the lightweight wire on the, on the twitch bait leader because that cuts water a whole lot better. One thing I experimented with years ago, and I really don't recommend anybody do it. I did it. I learned my lesson the hard way. I, uh, I went leaderless with a small twitch baits for, you know, a, a season. And I caught more fish, but I also got bit off. You know, the fish doesn't know what a leader is, but if it's there and, you know, it, it, it may turn them off. You know, you know, if you, if you're fishing, think about it, if you're fishing for lake trout, hundred feet of water and the guy using fluorocarbon is going to outfish the guy using monofilament. Well, a leader does matter. So it does matter to muskies too. And the less you have there, the, the better it's going to be. So going without a leader gave me better action with my twitch baits. They rose perfectly horizontally, but I had. I lost three big fish that cut me off, including the longest fish to this day I've, I've ever hooked in Wisconsin. Uh, believe it or not, it was on a six-inch uh, grandma. I, you know, after that fish cut me off, I, I was, you know, I was sick. I couldn't fish, and the guy I was fishing with kept casting. He said, "Boy, that was a big fish. Boy, that was a big fish." I'm like, shut up, you know. And, <laughs> and um, we, as, as we drifted, then we heard some splashing behind us, and I thought, you know, there's that fish up trying to get rid of the bait, and so he. You know, I grabbed the net and kicked the trolling motor in gear, and, and we went over there. And, you know, it, I, I, I thought this is going to be a heck of a way to get a big fish because it, it was, you know, it was to this day, I believe it was in that 53, I don't think it was 54, but it was 53-incher. And, you know, we got back to the cabbage where the fish was, and here my bait was floating. You know, she did get rid of it, so I felt better about that. But I still would rather have caught that fish. You know, I got my heart broken, and... I could have killed a, a big, big fish unintentionally, you know, by going leaderless. So I don't recommend anybody ever do it, but I did it and I learned my lesson and I've never fished leaderless since. So you got to go with leaders, but you, you know, minimizing them, minimizing their size is always a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Fitting the right bait with the right leader or vice versa, however you want to say it, is um, very important. You know, we have some people that they're they're wondering why they're not getting the uh, action out of their you know their side to side glide baits their phantoms their hellhounds their squircles whatever and then they're using like you said that 130 pound fluorocarbon leader which is, like you said that's a very great leader it's a very good option for a lot of things unfortunately like there's certain things that it's not and so it's it's matching those up that's important and uh like i said i'm glad that you brought it up because it's been something i wanted to have john on for a while and i just haven't done it and we need to because it's you know, like I said, it, it's right gear for the right job. And so, so Steve, let's talk a little bit about the technique that you use when you're, when you're uh, working minnow baits. I know, you know, some people, they like to do the, uh, just your typical throw it out, retrieve it in type of thing. And I'm sure that works, but I'm, I'm betting there's more to it for you. Well, yeah, again, they're crankbait and it's the same thing with crankbaits. If you just cast them out or reel them in, you know, you're going to catch fish, but you're not going to catch what you could catch with them. Um, you know, even with crankbaits, it's important, I believe, to twitch, you know, just kind of stop the retrieve and, and twitch them a time or two in, in every retrieve, you know, and, and 
bumping cover or structure is always good too. But even in open water, you know, a third of the way back, two thirds of the way back, just stopping and twitch and let it pause for a moment. That's when your strikes are going to come with a minnow bait, with these small minnow baits, I am twitching them for the most part all the way back. And it's going to be twitch, pause, twitch, twitch, pause. And you know, you're, you're the magician, you know, it, you know, if you twitch one or three times or whatever, before you pause, that that's entirely up to you. It's whatever your cadence you're most comfortable with, whatever the fish tell you that they want is um, what you need to do. But then one thing I almost always do with every retrieve is about a yeah, third of the way, uh, two thirds of the way back to the boat, maybe a halfway back to the boat. I'm going to stop and let the bait go almost to the surface. You know, some people call it the boat side rise, um, you know, a, a death pause, whatever you want to call it. But give that bait an extended rise where you're just throwing it out of, out of cadence. It's, you know, it's the same thing as if you're throwing a glider. If you just, you know, throw it side to side and it comes back, well, fish is going to come back half asleep following that bait. But if you throw erratic retrieves into it where it darts back and forth and then pauses, that extended pause breaks that cadence. And that's when they're going to eat it. And it's, you know, that's what the, the boat side rise is going to do for you with a minnow bait. You know, that fish is watching it. The baits flutter, 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 flutter. And all of a sudden it's just rising much more than it was earlier. Well, that, you know, I got to believe, you know, we haven't been able to interview a muskie yet. And um, I, I don't know when we will, but I, I would like to. And, you know, you, you know you're going to ask them, so why'd you guys do that? It's going to be, well, I don't know. But anyway, um, you know, you, you, you break that cadence, you let that bait rise to the surface, and it's a, it's something different they haven't yet seen. And sometimes they'll come up and grab it, and, and uh, then it becomes much more visual because you've got that big donut ring out there when they come up and roll into it. And uh, it's a lot more fun. You know, and of course, catching fish is a lot more fun, so why not do it? After the bait has come up to the surface or almost to the surface, well, then I'll twitch it down a little bit faster and then bring it to the boat and go through a figure eight. Um, in the figure eight, if there's a, still a fish engaged and he goes around a time or two and doesn't eat, one thing that's very effective is to pause again. And what I'm doing there is, you know, when I get to the outside turn, you know, you always, you always turn next to the boat and then pause when you're going away from the boat so the fish isn't looking at the boat. And I get in that outside turn, and I'll just stop the rod and let that bait float back to the surface. And uh, it can get real exciting real fast when that happens because, again, it's something they didn't expect. And it's, you know, I got to believe it's mimicking a, a dying bait fish, and it's an easy meal for them. You know, it's something they were chasing, and all of a sudden it's right there. It's easy for them to grab, and they're going to grab it. So, yeah, it's a very effective thing. So one thing I'll ask you, Steve, and I don't know if we even talked about it pre, but it was modifications. I know that you can hear, you know, like for you, it's about the pause. Do you run these, most of your minnow baits, are you running them with the stock hooks that come with them? Or, you know, because you hear if you upsize the hook, especially on a slammer bait, they use the light wire hooks. But if you upsize mm-hmm. them, you know, either in size, if you go from, like, say, a 2-aught to a 3-aught, or if you just go to a heavier version of the hook, it'll change the action as far as how it rises. As some guys you hear do that. Is that anything that you do with any of your crankbaits? I prefer to stay with the stock hooks, and when I have to cut a hook and replace it, I prefer to try to match it as closely as I possibly can. I wish the manufacturers would put on their packaging, you know, what what style hook, you know, what brand of hook, the weight in the whole model and everything else, because, you know, they build those baits, and, and, and slammers are very are notorious for this. They're built to have that light wire hook on there, and they're going to be just a phenomenal action you know, when the, when the, you know, with, with that stock hook, because that's what the manufacturer has determined is the best hook for that bait to get the best action out of it. And that's all good. You know, with musky fishermen, we end up cutting hooks from time to time, or, you know, you bang them on rocks and you need to replace them because you're, you know, wearing down the, down the point and you got to replace them. And if you go to a heavier hook, especially with a very lightweight bait like this, again, that's that buoyancy factor, you can just kill the action of the bait. And all of a sudden, you know, it, it, it's coming instead of flopping on its side and lying there for a moment before writing itself, you know, the hooks are pulling it back to center much more quickly. And that can matter. Yeah. I, I, if there's one thing I wish they would do is just, you know, on their packaging, say, 
you know, this is a, you know, that slammer seven inch and this is a style hook and, you know, it's a must add. I don't know what the number is. And that's the hook that you need to replace on here for the best action. If I, if I could tell them all the same thing, I, I wish they would do that because a heavier hook, you know, it, it's just gonna, it's just gonna affect the, the action of the bait. You can go to two hooks. You know, if the, if the bait comes with three, you can take out that middle hook if you want to go with heavier hooks. But again, the action is going to be a little bit different, and uh, it's up to you to determine whether you like that or not. Yeah, I, like you said, I I don't mean to pick on slammer baits. I know that was one for sure, like because those are definitely lighter wire hooks. And I know I talked to some anglers, and they don't like how light the wire hooks. And I'm like, yeah, but like much like you said, for the best action, those are the hooks that you should use. You just need to, you know, some people are like, well, you're going to p- potentially bend out a hook, you know, fighting a muskie or whatever. But I mean, if you, I think if you play it outright, that shouldn't be too much of an issue. So yeah, if you're, if you're going to set the hook and try to fight that thing in, you know, like you would with a, a fish that's hooked on a, you know, a bulldog hook or you know, a cowgirl hook, you know, a 10 odd or eight odd hook or something like that. Well, you're probably going to straighten the hook and, uh, or, or it's going to flex, get, you let that fish go and, you know, we, we aren't picking on slammer. Slammer, you know, Bill makes a great bait. You know, I've, I've got a box full of them here, uh, and a lot of them got tooth marks in them. Um, it's just a just a really good twitch bait, but it is very hook sensitive. And you know, if if guys are listening, if they didn't catch the leader sensitive portion of this discussion, the hook sensitive thing should underscore the leader thing. When you start affecting the weight that's around that bait you start affecting its action and yeah slammers i guess would be it they would be well known for that or known for that and notorious for that perhaps you just you really have to take great pains with that bait to match the hooks that are on there and uh and then you know if you're going with a medium heavy rod and and not try to horse that fish into the net and wrestle it into the net you will catch it eventually but um you have to be conscious of that Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, I didn't mean to pick on slammers. I know that was one that's got light wire hooks and I hear the, I hear it from people time to time. And much like you said, I mean, the slammer bait is an incredible bait through wire construction, solid plastic. I mean, they're built tough mm-hmm. and, and affordable. I mean, you can't find a much more affordable bait on the market than what you can with a slammer tackle bait. No, you know, it's just, it's like, like I said, Bill makes a fantastic bait. You know, I've caught probably a hundred muskies on them over the years. Just, it, it, it's a staple of my tackle box. It's just you have to be conscious of what you're doing with it in order to continue to succeed. Because if you if you upsize the hooks, if you've got the three hooks on there and you cut them off, or you cut one off or two off because the fish got hooked, you know, had a lot of hooks in its face, and then you upsize those hooks and go with like a two x or three x hook, it will affect the action of the bait. You have to be conscious of that. For sure, Steve. One thing we talked about, or you kind of touched on a little bit, was. Um, you know, the water temperatures that you find that this technique is the best with. I know we might even talked about it pre-recording. You know, you're like, well, if they're, you know, water temperatures are higher, it's definitely more of a bucktail bite, not to say that these can't. Do you find a certain temperature degree range that you're using this technique more than, you know, say that if you're reaching for a bucktail? Well, early in the season, I'm going to probably start with the middle bait first. And I, I know I did on Saturday, just simply because, I don't know what the fish are doing. They're probably, especially in the early season, they're probably not going to be very revved up early in the morning. You know, if you, if you go out on opening day of the musky season, you know, in Northern Wisconsin on uh, the, the 29th of May this year, and you go out and you're out at the crack of dawn, eh, you probably won't catch anything for a while. You know, they, they like early in the season when the water temperature is still a little cooler. They like to have that sun come up. They don't get up at the crack of dawn. Uh, or they aren't real aggressive at the crack of dawn. And so if you know, I'm, I'm going to wait, let the sun come out. I'll wait till like eight thirty, nine o'clock. And, you know, even a degree or two that, that it may change during that time is huge. It can be huge at that time of year. You know, I'm talking water temperatures, mid to high fifties, low sixties. It can be, you know, water temperature can mean everything. You know, then I'm looking for when I'm on the water, I'm looking for, the warmest water I can find, you know, when it's early like that. Later in the season, you know, water temperature, you know, once you get into the muskies wheelhouse in that high 60s, low to mid 70s range, you don't have to be as conscious of water temperature as much because, you know, that's their preferred range. But when they're a little cold, you know, they are a cold, 
cold-blooded critter. And, you know, if the water's cold, it's going to affect them. So that that's when I really pay attention to water temperature. You know, but a minnow bait, you know, when, when, when I'm using the smaller ones, I think, you know, the five to seven inch, that's when the water temps in that, like I said, mid to high 50s, mid low to mid 60s type range. All season long, a minnow bait can be phenomenal, especially if you know, you know, if, if you get into a post-frontal situation or there's a lot of boating activity and, you know, in this, you know, in this pandemic year that we have, you know, we all saw a lot of boats and fishermen on the water last year. And it kind of looks like it's not going to change this year. Going with a bait that's a little bit more finesse, something that's different from what everybody else is casting, can be very smart. If you are, if you've got a big fish spotted and he's in a specific spot, you know, like a 20, 30 foot area, you know, say he's next, you know, in his cabbage patch next to this dock. Well, you know, hitting him at midday can be a very good thing to do, but give him lots of time to look at that bait, let it flutter. You know, he's going to be at the water's going to be the warmest at midday. That fish is probably the most could possibly be the most aggressive then because the water taps ramped up, especially if you get a, you know, a moon thing going on at midday. This is one of the ways to catch a really big fish midday is to just go back with a minnow bait to that specific spot. And it doesn't make a big splash when it lands, you know, go with like a, a seven and a half inch grandma, seven inch slammer, somewhere in that ballpark, you know, mid range middle bait, not a 10 inch Jake, not a 12 inch slammer and not a five or seven inch thing. Just something that's in that seven, to eight inch range. Uh, the grandma doesn't weigh much. The slammer doesn't weigh much. So it splashes down with minimal uh, noise and uh, disturbance. And you just let it pause on the surface for a moment, you know, in that spot where that muskie is and give it a, give the bait a twitch, let it, go down, bump into the cabbage a little bit, let it you know, rise back up. If the hooks hang on the cabbage a little bit, just kind of give it a little tug so that it lets go of the cabbage and then let it rise to the surface. Give it a twitch, pause it, let it rise to the surface, twitch it, let it rise to the surface. Maybe if you got a little bit of a pocket, twitch it twice, let it rise to the surface. Now that bait is just hanging in that fish's face forever. And this works with suix too to do the same thing. And all of a sudden, you got a you know big green rocket coming out of the cabbage to, to eat the bait. That's then it's you know hang out and pray, uh, <laughs> you know, and hope, hope you get them in the net. Uh, but it, that's a gr- you know just a, such an effective way to do it. And it's uh, in the guy you know it, it it takes patience, it takes nerves of steel, and it also takes a person who is willing to coordinate their hands and eyes because uh, not everybody can do this. And I, it just probably comes with more experience. But, you know, so many people, you know, they, they give the bait the twitch and maybe they're just not paying attention to it, not looking at it, not watching it. And they give that bait a twitch and, well, they feel the resistance because of, of, a hook caught a stock of cabbage or caught a leaf of cabbage. And then they rip it right away and now the bait's buried in the weeds and now they just blew the chance. No, you just gotta, you just gotta finesse it through. Just pull it this way. Okay, there's an opening. You're, you're up to a... You know, the bait's fluttering along, you've bumped into some cabbage, let it rise back up out of the cabbage, and now it's coming up on a stalk of cabbage that's in the way, and there's cabbage to the left, but there's a little opening to the right. Take your rod tip and just snap it over to the right so it, it walks around the cabbage and bump the cabbage and flutter in the cabbage, and you know, just take your time, and um, boy, that's, that's, you know, that, that, that works everywhere I've fished. You know, northern Wisconsin, southern Wisconsin, uh, Lake of the Woods uh, throughout Canada, uh, Lake Vermilion. You know when you when you actually have some you know weeds to fish there, um, <laughs> um, you know that weren't, weren't eaten by rusties. Um, it, it works everywhere, and it's just a it's a great great way. A middle bait is a great great way to catch a big big fish that you that you've got spotted. I love hearing you talk about how you just described the uh, the cast and working it around. It's awesome. Uh, as per usual, Steve. Uh, we have a list of topics that we want to that we want to touch on, and we're not going to be able to get to them all, which is plenty fine. The one I did want to touch on a little bit, since it kind of fits into this whole you know minnow bait, twitch bait that we're talking about, was your uh, you know a couple. I don't I don't even know. Time goes by so fast. It might have been two years. It might have been three, four, five years ago. You wrote about a dead stick technique in Muskie Hunter <laughs> magazine. 
I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't know which episode or which issue it was in. Cause like I said, time goes by so quick. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I know we're kind of running, we're going to run short on time here a little bit. I don't want to keep you all night. Cause I, like I said, I appreciate your time already, but you maybe summarize that or kind of get into that a little bit to get, get guys wheels turning. Yeah. The, the dead stick is something that you, you can use. They're employed to catch a fish that you will not catch by a, any other means. And you can't go out at the start of a day or the start of a week or the start of a season even sometimes and say, I'm going to catch a fish while dead sticking because you need that right fish to do it. And what it is, is when you're doing the boat side rise, um, you know, you're yeah, doing your retrieve either halfway back to the boat or two thirds of the way back to the boat, you know, like a, you know, 20, 30 feet, 50 feet out, whatever, let the bait rise to the surface and watch what's going on underneath. And often if there's a fish with it, but not ready to eat, you'll see the water get light underneath it, like a big gold glow. And if I see that, or if I, if I see a shadow of a fish or something, and he's not coming up to grab it, I'll let the bait rise to the surface. Just let it rise right up to the surface and let it lay there and not do anything with it. Just let it lay Bob in the little bit of waves or whatever that you may have. And, Watch what's going on. And that fish will often come up and look at it, and then he'll start sinking down. Well, if he starts to sink, just give it just the slightest twitch, just the slack line twitch, just enough to get it to wiggle. And watch the fish. And the fish sometimes will re-engage. He'll start rising up and looking at it again and just hanging underneath it. Sometimes he'll start to sink. And then he'll twitch it again. But don't give it a, a real hard twitch or a real aggressive twitch or speed it up because that fish will not, a fish that's doing that, that's just hanging underneath the bait, will not chase a fast bait. He's, he's just there. He's curious. It's hanging there. It's easy for him. He still doesn't want to eat it. If you go fast or make an aggressive move, you're going to spook it. You'll never catch that fish. But you let it lay there. And every time that that fish seems to sink a little bit, just give, it a little, give the bait a little twitch just so it wiggles on the surface. And, and just once, and then when, you know, you'll get to that point at some point where there's going to be a muskie that's going to be looking at the bait and you're going to see his tail start dropping down. And he's actually going kind of vertical in the water with his head up. And you're going to see that his jaws are flexing. Like he's trying to lick the bait. And this is just the weirdest thing. It's the coolest thing when you see it and he'll be underneath it and, you know, he'll be flexing his jaws and looking at it. And he's just hanging there. And if he starts to sink again a little bit, give it a little twitch, just a little wiggle of the bait. And eventually you're going to find one that's going to come up and he's going to slowly rise up. And he's going to just, you know, I, I don't know how they do this. The fins aren't moving or anything. And they just slowly rise up and they'll take the bait with their mouth. And it's nothing more than, you know, they're just taking the end of the beak and it's going to be like, uh, the best thing I can, I can, I can just, the best way I can describe it is it's like a brown trout taking a, a fly off the surface. They just kind of come up and take it in the end of their beak and kind of suck it in. And then they start to sink back down in the water. And then if you set the hook upward, which is, um, what you're going to, that's going to be your initial reaction. At least it is for me. If you set it upward, you're probably going to pull the bait right out of his mouth. You need to set the hook downward into the side to try to catch the corner of his mouth. And once you got that, well, now you're fighting the fish, and he's gonna he's going to dive underneath. You know, you know he he's going to get aggressive real fast. He's going to dive and try to you know do something to get rid of that bait. And then you set the hook again, you know, and, and again still down into the side. And now you're just fighting the fish. And you know those muskies when they do that, they are not aggressive. They will never be caught by any other means than this, but it's one more fish that day or one more fish that week or, or whatever. It's not a big fish technique because, you know, we've never caught a, a, a true giant doing this, but then again, we're fishing for fish that are really turned off and those really big ones don't tend to be that aggressive in that, those situations. But it, if you, you know, if you're, you know, there's nothing wrong with adding a 40 incher today or a 44 incher tomorrow, you know, to what, what you've caught for the week, you know, with a, with a dead stick. And the thing is, is even though it's not 
the biggest fish that you're going to catch doing this. It's just so visual. And it's so cool. Yeah, I, I wrote that article, I don't know, a dozen years ago or something. And, you know, I saw on social media or, or maybe it was a website. Somebody you know, just kind of said, well, it was just a, a, a secondary article. They weren't too impressed with it. And then uh, Jim Sarek managed to, he was fishing with Bill Sandy on Lake of the Woods where this will happen on Lake of the Woods. It's one of those lakes this happens. But I've caught him in Wisconsin with a dead stick too. And, uh, and Bill was, or Jim was fishing with Bill and he had a fish hanging underneath the bait for about, I don't know, a minute and a half before it grabbed it. And, uh, then, you know, Jim had the fish hooked and, you know, proceeded to lose it. But, um, then everybody wanted to know about dead sticking because it was so cool and watching that fish and just trying to guess what that fish is going to do. And it's just hanging there and you want it to grab the bait and it just is going to take its time doing it. And you got to have the nerves of steel because if you set the hook too quick, you're just not going to get them. But when you do get them, it's just like, yeah, I tricked that one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just feel so good because it's, it's one more fish you just would not have caught. Yeah, for sure. It's like a super slow game of cat and mouse, I'd say, right? Oh, absolutely. It, 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 it's, mus- it's time stands still for muskies. And, you know, it works with suix. It works with middle baits. You got to have something that comes to the surface and can lay there with no movement. You know, even a jointed crankbait is too much in this situation, but a, a, a you know, a minnow bait or a suic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the biggest, we've got, we've gotten a couple up to four foot doing this, never got a 50 inch doing it. And so, you know, there's nothing wrong with catching a four footer either, but you know, I've never got a 50 doing it and never, never got a 50 to go in it, you know, that where I've ever hooked up with it doing that. So I, you know, maybe I just need more experience. I don't know. I think the majority of our listeners would be plenty happy with a bonus 36, 37, 38, 41. I mean, whatever. I think, I, I mean, I, th- I think obviously the, the number 50 inch gets thrown around a lot. Four foot gets thrown around a lot, but I think a lot of musky anglers are just happy to get out and catch muskies. And I, I think that's, I think that's still great. You know, I mean, for me personally, I'm happy, you know, granted, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to break 40 inches every time, but I'm still ha- plenty happy with a 38. Oh, you bet. You know, and especially if you get in the dead stick, I mean, you're going to be giggling the whole time you're fighting that fish because you did something that you did everything right and you got that fish to go when that fish didn't want to go. And yeah, it, it, I, I'm giggling all the way to the net when I get one like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's uh, that's something I wanted to talk about a little bit just to get guys thinking about it in case they happen to see something like that on the water. And, and now Steve gave you an idea of how to catch it. So, um, Steve, I, you know, hour and a half or hour, hour and a half, hour and five minutes went flying by. I anticipated us talking for about 45 minutes and getting through my entire list of topics, but, uh, much per usual that never happens. And that's, that's great. I mean, it'll give us something to talk about, you know, in, in a future episode, but, uh, Steve, I want to just thank you again for, for taking the time out of your schedule, talking musky fishing with us. It's always great to talk to you because of, you know, just it's, it seems like you have nonstop experience on multiple topics. I can talk about anything and, and you always have, um, you know, great answers. And, and I, once again, I just appreciate that. And I want to thank all of our listeners again for listening. And I, I hope you have a great season, Steve. Um, you know, like I said, I, it's, it's just great to, great to talk to you and, uh, hopefully it won't be another, I don't know, 65 episodes before we talk again, but, um, you know, once again, thank you. Thank you for our listeners and I hope everybody has a great season. Yeah. Thanks so much for including me. This was fun. 